This is the Saddler's Post, conversations on horses, leather trade, and the art of saddlery, with our host, Christian Love. My guest today on the Saddler's Post is Saddler Owen Morgan. Since the late 90s, Owen has been training with some of the best saddle brands in the industry. Owen now holds the prestigious position of in-house saddler with the famous RCMP Musical Ride and also runs Vision Saddlery, located in Ottawa, Ontario. Owen, welcome to the Saddler's Post podcast. Thanks, Christian. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, do this with you. Awesome. So I think you probably have the most unique saddle job, saddlery position in all of Canada. Would you agree? I think now that I've been there, yes, for um, actually, it didn't take too long to figure it out, but it's been, I think, 14 years now. And it took me about one or two to to realize it was basically a one of a kind job. And we get to do a lot of one of a kind things compared to the regular, you know, saddle world in the store, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I've been so excited to to get you on and and hear a little bit about what goes on behind the scenes and things. Um, I think, um, you know, a lot of people tuning in will know that you and I know each other uh, pretty well. We go back uh, a long, long way. And uh, I think uh, to say we both started with minimal skills in a similar setting would, would, would be accurate in saying that, don't you think? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it's I, when I I'm remembering now. It's about it's almost 25 years ago that we like I was 17 or 18, and I'm 44 now. So I won't tell your age, but um, uh, I'd say it was about 25 years, and it was back at the store in Stittsville at Horse World. Um, you had just started working there. It wasn't for too long, I don't think, before we started to do a little bit of training. But you were into it more than I was at the time. You just knew more because you were working in the industry and I was kind of just getting into the store, I would say, a little bit at that time. And um, I even remember doing, you know, we drove down to New Jersey once and did the prestige course together. Uh, That was a long drive. And, um, you know, worked with a saddler from England at the time. So when I think about it, what what we got to do earlier on in our, our careers or the start of our careers was 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 pretty cool like we we had a lot of opportunity then um, maybe compared to others in the industry a little bit so um yeah it and i i really had other than the riding experience which i think you know you you had the riding experience from when you were a, a kid just like me and an interest in the tack like saddles were cool because you know dirt bikes were cool to me when I was a kid and, and other sports, uh, the items that were used. And I think that just kind of related or relayed into the saddle game or the tack game a little bit. And that's, you know, the beginnings of it all um, that long ago, which is, it's really amazing, right? That we, we started then and are still, we're doing this right now together. Yeah. I, I just think it's great. It's part of why I was really excited to have you on because uh, so I, I, left uh horse world and and joined up with my mentor and and um who i apprenticed under uh david nangrave and then um you know kind of lost touch a little bit with you uh for a little while so fill in the blanks a little bit on on the training and then i really want to get into the nuts and bolts of uh 
of, of what you do every day for the RCMP? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, again, goes back to, to the training would have started in those days back at Horse World um, with Joe. I don't know if you remember. I'm sure oh, you remember of course Joe. I do. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, the, the older gentleman back in the day and, uh, you know, learning a little bit from him. And then I think for me, I was lucky because, you know, uh, our family owned the store. So I was able to actually, I would sometimes just take new saddles and pop them apart quickly and put them back together. And a lot of the learning was really like, you know, on my own, I guess a little bit, there, there wasn't a lot of places you could go to. Well, you could do the course in England, which I'm pretty, you did that course, a master saddlers course or I did not. Yeah. Oh, you didn't. Okay. Yeah. I didn't either. Um, after a few years of just, you know, in the store a little bit after our training with a couple people, then I went to Belgium twice to work with uh, Tolga in Brussels or just outside Brussels, actually. And I kind of called him up one day and was like, I need to learn how to finish properly. You know, like I could finish uh, at a certain level here, trained in Canada with anyone that was available sort of like in North America. Um, but you know, there was always that French level or the English level that you wanted to aspire to a little bit more. And kind of, uh, he just said, come on, come on over. So I booked a flight and I worked there twice. I think it probably was only like a total of three weeks altogether. I was lucky to really have a good start um, with what we had learned a little bit and, and in the shop and maybe just you know, um, I was always a little bit good with my hands with like the dirt bike stuff, working on engines, tinkering around, fishing rods. So the, the saddlery kind of came like a little bit easy, I would say. Uh, not that it stayed easy all the time with everything else, but at that time it did. And um, from then, from there, I, I started my own saddle line, like the Division Saddles. I was lucky that Tolga basically helped me design my first saddle on like a pretty cool tree which was adjustable so at that time it was like a little bit like the prestige saddles so that got my foot in the door of selling saddles and that would have been 17 years ago i would say now 16 years ago um and I'm just trying to think back. I, I have a few notes, but not all the notes here. No, that's fine. Then, yeah. yeah. Then I think the, the RCMP job kind of popped up in those three years from the 17 to the 14 years I've been working there. Um, out of the blue one day, um, the old superintendent of the musical ride, Bruce Willens, he called the store one day and wanted a pair of riding boots. So... I booked an appointment. He was in that day. I asked him the question of what's going on with the Saddler at the musical ride. And um, he let me know that uh, they were retiring in the next week and they needed somebody than if I and asked me if I knew anyone. So, I mean, one thing led to another. I showed him a couple of things that I did and, you know, was kind of tried out on a contract quickly after that, you know, after some security protocols and this and that. And that's where it all came from, like the, the RCMP job. So that was the beginning of, of everything and a little bit the transition of time uh, from when we worked together and probably lost each other a little bit there, trying to do our own things and, and find our own way. But we would always run into each other at horse shows and stuff, right? Have a beer here and there, which was, which was pretty cool because it was always just like old times. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You're somebody that I 
you know, as soon as we hook up again, it's like no no time has passed at all. So it's it's great fun. So yeah. So it's interesting. So because I can imagine with the musical ride, um, you have all the traditional things that a that a stable full of horses would would need, and that they need modifying and the things that horses break in general like halters mm-hmm. and horses stand on reins all the time or or whatever but um they also use some unique equipment um that's very specific to what they need in the ride that, uh the yeah well totally and that would be starting like with the lances right um that would be the one i guess visible thing that you would see right off the bat that no one really rides around with especially with 32 horses in the arena at one time when when they're training or anything um so that was a a new one for me and the lance buckets like i actually make the lances so we have a collection of tips and butts and they are sharp like they will go they will go through like they will cut you um and you know that's a bit of a process learning how to do that learning the right bamboo like these are things that you know, when you and I were restuffing saddles that I never thought I would ever have to do learn, you know, it's a Calcutta certain type of bamboo. Would that be something you'd ever think of? Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Wow. This is the stuff Um, that uh, I think, you know, the general public listening, that's, um, I mean, there's fans of the musical ride all over the world. Um, They're, they're well known for, the horses they breed their breeding program um you know their their master riding instructor and so on but the the stuff behind the scenes the equipment i mean that's that's what the saddler's post is all about so i just uh find it amazing um just what would be required like it probably closer to what a what an old school saddler would have to be up against eh? like it, it yeah it is a, i guess it is because again i'm i'm seeing things and doing things that you would never see in the outside world like um i mean number one the lances then the the lance bucket it's a it's a leather piece that actually the farriers at the uh, musical ride helped me with welding a metal i don't know it's almost a metal cylinder that would go inside it and then the the bucket looks like a cartoon's nose, like with a long nose. I don't even know who the cartoon uh, would be, but it's a really, it goes over the, the stirrup and then the stirrup leather goes through the leather, through the stirrup and your foot obviously goes in the stirrup and then the lance can sit on the outside of the stirrup and making them is all by hand and you have to sew every stitch on an angle, which is, I, have you done many cases at all or? I'm sure you understand how uh, much work that is. Minimal, minimal. I made a fly rod fishing case. Yeah, similar. Um, and um, I was really pleased with it. The client was <laughs> who <laughs> who had been dealing with a professional case maker before that was like, ah, it's not really up to my standard that I'm used to. And I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> Jeez. I saw the pictures of that. That was beautiful. Yeah. I saw them online. I was like, oh, wow, yeah. that's really I, cool. I honestly, I was so, you know, hurt my elbow, patting myself on the back on that one. And um, uh, it, it, yeah. but when you, you know, it again, someone who does that uh, for the last 30 years that he was dealing with, obviously makes it look, uh, flawless but yeah i would imagine that that lance cup gets pretty 
beat up. Um, well, and that's the issue, right? So, you know, you'll make a new one and it looks great for the first week or two. And then it just like looks like one of the old five-year-old ones or six-year-old ones. It's been refurbished. And we, I probably have about 40 to 45 of them in circulation because we have, you know, the, the ride is normally 32 horses, right? So we would have the 32 good ones with the ride members. They all get their own. And then there's the four spares if there's a you know like a, a horse is not available for the ride that day so the spares normally have their whole set of tack as well uh, so that and they break there's straps that attach them to the stirrup so there's there's always something and then the members will also they polish them which looks great but sometimes they'll use say like floor wax on top of the polish and that will completely destroy the leather so they'll fall apart in yeah. like a year and you know then i'm sitting there making more lance yeah. buckets all so, by hand and the fingers are bleeding and this and that i i try to do a lot on the machine and i have the the adler 205 which i'm sure you know it makes basically everything in the attack game so Yes, Adler two hundred five. I um I I worship at that altar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. The the one I <laughs> the one I'll go back again. We had at the store back in the day. That was the Pearson with the crank. So you had to have one hand on the crank steering, like um, moving the needle up and down, and then you had to have one hand moving the piece of leather. We were never taught really how to like thread it properly or thread the bottom properly yes, I remember. so you know right the threading would always pull out or not come all the way the stitching was never great right unless you had a lucky day yeah yeah and uh, i put that right like... through my thumb once right through the nail right through the middle i have done that on my 205 to be honest mm, <laughs> that okay, was a bad yeah, day okay, my, my pain, i got so. confused between the presser foot and the the go pedal i stomped on the go pedal right when my hand was up right underneath so yeah yeah no that's not a it's not a fun feeling it teaches you though you normally don't do it again and if you do it's not for a year so exactly yeah so the one thing i don't think people realize or or maybe they do but the 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 members of the musical ride for the most part are not experienced horse people is that correct yes exactly so they normally the member like they come in as constables to the musical ride so normally they'll have to have at least two years of service in the rcmp before they're able to uh, apply for the i guess it's to apply for the musical ride. i'm not really sure exactly how they do it from that side but there's like um you know, an email will go out to the whole RCMP, I guess, that we're recruiting, and we, we run what's called the basic course. So we'll have members come in that I would say 95% of them really don't have any horse experience at all. Um, and you have those 5% that either, you know, rode like we did when we were kids, or they, uh, you know, took lessons, or maybe they rode on a beach in Jamaica or something like that. Um, and some, you know, like, all over Canada and all over the world we have members come from. So their horse experience could be something that we wouldn't even relate to. Like, you know, maybe on the farm they had a couple workhorses or, or things like that. So it's, it's actually really nice and, and really cool to meet everyone that comes in there because you're always meeting different people with different stories. And then they also have the first five weeks of the basic course. So you're, 
you're seeing them ride horses and interact with horses for the first time. And uh, sometimes it can get a little, little interesting, if you know what I mean. They oh, yeah. definitely, definitely make the arena uh, smaller for the first day of trot, the first day of canter, because they, they learn to ride on more of our retired horses. So we have three sections of horses. We have the ride horses, which are horses that are currently in the musical ride and doing the show and traveling. Then we have the class horses, which are the the older horses that have either done the ride or maybe they're not suitable for the musical ride, but they're really great horses for people to learn on. So those horses, oh, sorry, I forgot. And we, then we have the remount section, which are the young horses that come in for a breeding farm in Packingham and are trained by, you know, the staff. We either have PS staff who train them or we have... Uh, at the same time as the RCMP, more of the corporals or people who have kind of moved up the ladder within the musical ride. So those are the three branches or sections of horses we would have. The new members on the basic course um, come in and train on the uh, class horses. So again, they're they're probably the ones that are a little bit older, so a bit easier, but it, but it can get interesting, right? Because you're seeing people, some have great ability, some, you know, don't have great ability so it's uh it's just an interesting mix and it's an interesting five weeks every time we run a basic course and the main thing that you would come out with it it's very impressive of how well they do for the most part like some people will say you know what it's not for me but anyone who who really gets through it like I, I have to credit them because i know how hard it is to to learn riding and you're you're not riding in a normal circumstance where we would have learned where there isn't 10 or 12 horses in the arena and there's not a lot going, you know, not as much going on for us as there is for them. So they have a crash course. They basically are told like they make the musical ride or they, they don't make the musical ride or some could drop out, like I said, and, and they don't obviously make the musical ride. And they will then come back for an, it's called the intermediate uh, I don't know if it's the intermediate course or section i should know but i hear different things sometimes but they'll then train with us for basically six seven eight months until they are um they form up with the musical ride every really january 1st is when people come back from their vacations the new class will join up with the musical ride and everyone kind of starts working for that show every year again january 1st until they go out in may or april I, a little bit of what i was getting at with when you when you have a say a a new or learning as an adult horse person that you know very often they don't realize like yeah if you tack up like that you're gonna break a keeper every time or um, oh yeah so i'm sure yes. there's the repairs Sorry. that you see are like you would see at a typical riding school where they're they're breaking yeah. stuff that you're like why you know stop doing that <laughs> right? oh chewing chewing on reins everything right so yeah. and that's what like i mean it keeps it interesting for me of course because you know i have my normal list of duties i guess i i, I have to keep the exercise bridles up to par the double bridles up to par and um you know i'll get something weird like that on a basic course where yeah, someone might come off and they wear those high brown riding boots i'm sure you've seen them with the lacing at the top and i also have to get those prepped for them when they get them new so 
you know, like a boot lace will, a, a weird leather boot lace will pop off. You have to fix that or a like try stitching spur studs on on boots by hand it's oh, wow. uh it's fun <laughs> yeah. um yeah just like actually some and not on the basic course but we'll the the new king had a visit last year right so we had um it was a big prep week almost and and I'd say an hour before, if less, like I'm kind of dressed up to do my thing at my post and my little table of goods while he and um, I guess the queen consort walk by. And, you know, there's these last minute repairs to a sword holder or someone's ribbon um, Sam Brown for their for their surge. Right. So there's all kinds of things that would go on, like behind the scenes where. I, again, a normal saddler wouldn't see that, but I see it and you just, you have to come up with a fix. So I basically feel like a fix it man, but um, also a saddler at the same time there. Yeah. Um, the, the basic is interesting just because the basic course, again, to the new riders, you're, you're also getting questions that you've never heard ever in your life, right? About uh, tack or riding and um, the basics, cleaning tack. So it's it definitely keeps the world like interesting for me because there's never a dull, I would say there's never a dull moment and it's always something new there if it's basic course or just a regular day or uh, a show day or if, you know, someone... Um, a dignitary is visiting or anything like that it's, it's it keeps it very interesting yeah now imagine um because part of um i imagine that you would have quite a few guests visiting um it, that, that would not be an abnormal thing to see some high profile uh person coming through no we we a little bit less obviously with covid we didn't have tours or anything but i would i think that we are the second or third most toured um, destination in ottawa uh when we were you know more open for tours and i'm sure they're going to start again this summer and then we would do a lot of escorts as well so um an ambassador would be maybe visiting the governor general and we probably wouldn't do it at the music, like where we are located at the police college, but the governor general's residence is just down the road. So we would drive the horses up in the carriage, wait for them at the main gate to arrive and then take them from their escort, like from the main gate up to the, the front of Rideau hall. So we would do that a lot. So I didn't maybe get to meet a lot of the people that were going into it. Um, or we were doing the, the escorts with, but there's there's a lot of guest visitors that I guess would would come through the stables. Sometimes you don't know they don't they don't let you know who they are if you know what I mean, just for safety considerations and security sure, and all yeah. that. So, um, so but yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Yeah, it's so on the tax side of things. Then are the things that would be. A common thing for any saddler so out of all those horses i assume every one of them has their own saddle yes for the most part okay. sometimes people switch them around you don't know okay <laughs> yeah but and um the fit is maintained by you yes um yeah okay so and is do you have a routine like okay my records show that you know this horse needs like we're we're doing yep. it before the season a little bit during like how do you how do you 
schedule everything? So basically, like, we'll keep um, basically a spreadsheet for each horse, right? So we we use Steubens. It's um, a model called the Canada model, and I believe that's just for us, like the RCMP. And it's, you know, it's a model that I think we started using in 1973, and... Yeah, no one else would use. It's a bit of a hybrid, all-purpose dressage uh, model. You know what I mean? Like you don't see them for twenty years now, really. Yeah. Um, and that. And then, sorry, each each saddle obviously is sized, like tree-wise, and I would say our horses, for the most part, are on the narrower range of the saddles. Like, I think Steubens are twenty size twenty-seven to size thirty-four, thirty-five. So the on the 20 side would be the narrower up to the wider ones in the thirties. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, it can be a little bit difficult keeping up because we have the 36 ride horses or 40 ride horses. Um, we have the 30 or so class horses and then we have the, the other horses and you're trying to keep up with the, the saddles plus the two sets of bridles, you know, girth, stirrup leathers, things you don't normally see lances, uh, tall browns making spur straps uh even the head rope i don't you've probably seen them like the white rope that goes around the horse's neck when they're doing the show yes we we have to make all of those um so there's a lot like there's a ton to do so it's basically scheduled for the saddles we keep a track we kind of look at them twice three times four times during the year if there's no issues that come up and and either a rider will report it you know if there's a horse issue or a little rub um you know then we look at that right away and adjust where we have to adjust we we use saddles hard like i've never you know we, we we actually break trees more often than you would ever imagine like it's actually i've never seen it but (laughs) We also, you know, like they ride the, the horses a lot, right? So yep. it's um, probably more than the, the average Joe would in their, their saddle every, you know, four times a week kind of thing. So, Sure. And I mean, this is part of the fascinating part for me is that just even the horse's job is unique. And we all know that, you know, the horse's work directly impacts on their top line and their muscle mm-hmm. and, and so on. Um, and and the rider's ability. So combined with this unique job these horses are doing with with riders that are uh you know they're they're not quote unquote schooling the horse and putting a top line on necessarily. No. So it's um you know I'm not I don't want to make it sound like oh they're just sitting around up there bumping along. I know they aren't cuz they it's a pretty rigorous training that they go through to get um up to speed to do the job they do but it would present unique i can i can believe it's hard on trees so that would create uh, i imagine you have a, a good working relationship with steuben uh yeah we we do um it's it's funny you know like you kind of get into a groove like with with anything you do and we've been really lucky that the, the steubens work very well for our breeding like with with the hanoverians that we do breed and the lines that we breed because I mean, as you know, like 
fitting 90 horses with one brand of saddle it's, or not even one brand one model of saddle like that's really not that easy so we've been i think super lucky that they do fit our horses so well and of course we have the one like odd one here and there where you have to really you know throw a back strap on it or maybe make the pad a little bit different underneath or uh, adjust the front a little bit differently but i i mean knock on wood like it's it's very lucky that uh, they do work so well for us. And um, if there's never really issues like where we would have, you know, a, a big thing with Steuben, they've, they've come up a few times to look at the fit and go over everything. And again, it's always worked well. So, you know, if it's, if it's ain't broke, don't fix it type of deal. Right. Yeah. Um, the pads, when I did get there though, that was one thing they didn't use was half pads at all um and it's okay that can be okay if you have like a fully stuffed wool saddle and you're looking at it maybe every three or four months because they can ride like one horse can go for like two hours a day there so with no half pad nothing to take away a little bit more um, of the shock or absorb a little bit more of the shock like that's when we had a little bit more broken trees i would say like i would see them a little bit more and I made that change pretty quick. I would say in the first year, everyone was riding, at least in sheepskins, and that just changed everything, like, right off the bat. So that was a big change that I guess I would have made. Um, and that it's not a regular change at a stable or something. You have to kind of go up the the, the line a little bit to get it approved. And, you know, it just made sense in that, that day and age, and, and everything's been a lot better. But we're super lucky with the working relationship we have with Stu and that there's not a lot of issues we don't really have to to talk to them much other than you know keeping in touch ordering new saddles um, maybe a little change here and there but uh for the most part it's it's pretty much status quo and we can't change either like what we do is so based on tradition even trying to find another saddle that would help these riders to be in the position they are like the Steubens do, it'd be a really tough task and to find ones also that could hold up to the, uh, to the riding every day. It would be, I've, I've seen it now and um, I, I'm not sure there'd be too many other brands in the world that would, even my own, that would stand up to it. Oh, I, I agree. I, I remember a story one time where, um, the Barnsby representative, <laughs> we we went up there together and uh, they handed him back a saddle that was just, um, they'd actually worn a hole through a flap within, um, yeah. um, it was less than a year. And, um, you know, that's just the kind of abuse that they take, period. And, you know, and the Steubens were standing up to that uh, kind of abuse, no problem. Yeah, exactly. And it's getting, it's not the riding, it's then, you know, being taken care of maybe by people who don't put it down all the time properly or, you know, because they're learning. So it's it's not really on them. And stuff just happens if you haven't been in the industry or riding for a long time or, you know, and maybe a horse bites it or everything can happen in the outside world that happens in there and more kind of deal. So that's oh, yeah. it, it definitely, uh, there's always something, but, uh, the saddles are one thing that I think again, knock on wood, um, cause it, it's your main connection, right. To the horse really, uh, where you sit and then you, you, know, you have the bridle and the bit obviously, but, um that's that's the seat, like that's their office. So it, it needs to be good. And we're, uh, we're quite lucky that it works so well. I'm, I'm 
never have done so many restuffs in my life until till then and and yearly now but uh it's it's worth it because it definitely helps the horses keep in good shape and the riders are in a position where they can get their job done properly and ride properly yeah fantastic i'm i can just see that many it probably i've always wondered what what your day is like because i i think about it in a sense that you know there's probably so much to do, but you just have to kind of organize the chaos. <laughs> and yes. I'm sure that their traveling schedule helps get things in order as well. Like, hey, we're gone on the road from yeah. May till, I don't know, September or, or the, the Royal or something that their season um, allows you to get a lot of housekeeping done at home. It lets us it lets us get some things done. No, <laughs> um, it it helps. It frees up your time to build new things because you're not building or fixing broken things every day, right? So, um, I have a, my door has a hook for incoming repairs and outgoing repairs, and every morning when I come in, like there could be something new or throughout the day. And if you saw my shop, it's it's a bit of organized chaos because. Yeah, I have so many projects all the time. What I try to do is I'll try to work on maybe like doing six girths for one week or not maybe one week, but you know, that will be the main thing that I want to do is I give myself a main goal of the week and then try to work everything else in my days into it. Uh, the repairs or, you know, checking a saddle fit or, you know, checking the tack, um, working on harness is a whole new thing that I've learned in the last couple of years. So we, there's that whole aspect to it where you, when you grow up in the English salary world, you know, I never really trained or repaired harness other than just really super basic jobs. And when you get into making it and really learning how it's done, it's really a whole other world. So, um, you know, you mix, you can take 10 things that you would never really think you'd be having to do in a day and throw them into your day yeah. mixed in with trying to make your new tax. So it, that's, again, it's another form of just keeping the days interested in and keeping you on point. You, you have to kind of get those six girths done and then you can move on to six lance buckets or six sets of reins. Cause I, I don't like trying to take on too many things at once. Like, if I was to try and do 36 girths, like all in a row, it, I think you'd be the same, like people, you kind of go a little stir crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, the, my day to day job, I find I have to break it up. Um, yeah. otherwise by the end of the week, it starts to feel a little bit like, well, it could be in any, any factory doing an assembly line job. Like that's not my personality. So it's kind of nice that you can go, Oh, I know. I have something interesting waiting for me, so I'll just do that this afternoon. But I do, totally. I, I do tend to like to do things in blocks too. Like if I'm doing, you know, a, a certain type of thing, I find when I change to working on something else, it takes me a minute to get my thoughts reorganized from, say, yep. a panel alteration to putting a new seat in. I tend to takes me a minute to shift gears versus you know because the the panel alterations are your are your meat and potatoes of of my week and um okay. you know it's 
for sure um just organize it it's kind of cool and i imagine that the repairs are a little bit of a priority because that's assigned to a horse and they need it right like yeah so actually i always have spares basically of every single thing that they would use so if it's a repair i i try to do the repairs like instantly. So if something comes in, I'll try to have it done, you know, within the hour, depending <laughs> if it's a broken tree, obviously that won't be getting fixed in an hour or at all. But, um, you know, just the little things like a keeper or a rain or the things you, you can do quickly. And I've learned to do a lot quickly now and on the 205 on the Adler. <laughs> nice. um, yeah. If I didn't have it, I mean, it, it would be really, really hard to keep up. You, I don't think you could with one saddler for, for all those horses if it was all done by hand. Um, yeah, you'd need a couple of people in there, apprentices and, you know, all. Yes, I do. Actually, that's one thing I, I didn't touch on. I do normally have uh, two apprentices. So when they are on the road, uh, things break on the road too and maybe like weirder things will sometimes break on the road like you know lances will snap here or there and um, yeah, gloves like the gauntlets they use I, I'm not sure if you've seen them but they it's it's a regular leather glove but it's sewn into a, a leather cuff that I have to make yeah and they can dry it like everything that you wouldn't ever think of that could break or go wrong, like it will happen there. So I have two apprentices that train with me. One will start um, two, two to three. So when they do move out after their two to three year stint, I always have kind of two waiting in the wing. So they are sent on the road um, with obviously spare parts, new girths, new bridles, really new everything so they can replace it or they have a little repair box of hand stitching you know like a, a buckle on a blanket or uh, again a spur strap a buckle on a spur strap the the little things that kind of would go daily um that they can do um so that that helps me obviously they i'm not sure it would be really hard you have to have a lot of spare items if you didn't have them on the road so that's always interesting too right because you're training new, new people that have never done anything with leather repair so you're like from working on a Victor victorian era state harness and refurbishing it to teaching somebody like a how to do a saddler's knot remember remember that <laughs> oh yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> and it's it's funny one of the things that you just do now without yeah. even thinking about it and you have to teach someone how to do it it's like it's you know and you you you'd love to say come on it's simple but you remember the hours of right and lacing a saddle start, in and then right? having like we it we kind of knew so yeah. um I remember us both trying to tie a saddler's knot and being like, shit, like, how can you not get this? It took us like an hour. And then once you got it, boom, like you can yep. do it in any crack or crevice in a saddle like you'd ever see. But uh, no, for sure. That's uh, so um, I guess a lot of patients are involved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So and that's the thing. So you never travel with them on the road. No, I've, uh, other than local shows to go and watch and maybe help out at the, the trailers in Ottawa at Wesley Clover or something, we'll do some shipping shows at the beginning of the year just to get them warmed up a little bit and into the routine. Yeah. Um, other than that, no, uh, I, I mean, I've, I've traveled the horse show world on the road for a long time before the musical ride. So I, ha I have a bit of an idea what it's like, but 
it's probably something I should do to see how it goes. But I think even just doing those Ottawa shows, it gives me a good idea. But no, yeah. no traveling. Um, to, but it's not part of your job description. That's, no, it's you, not. And it would don't. really make it hard for me with running the store also. I mean, I shouldn't say running the store. I have like a great team of people at Vision that, that run the store really for me. You know, I get to go there a couple hours every day, see what's going on, you know, get the the rundown from them and go from there. But I, I wouldn't have the time to, to do it. I don't think if, if I had to go on the road with them, just it wouldn't work for me. Um, like, as you know, right. It, it takes yeah. away from you with your family and, and everything else you do. So it's, it's really a big commitment from the ride members that, that do go with the musical ride because they are gone for months, a year from their family. And, um, that's a that's a lot. So everyone kind of everyone pulls together, I'd say, for for doing that and getting it done from the people you don't see to the people you, you do see. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, and it's it's just, um, you know, kind of interesting just how prestigious and um, iconic the, the musical ride is. And, you know, it, I think this is really the first in-depth conversation I've ever had with you or anyone that's behind yeah. the scenes um you know having lived in ottawa a little bit and, and worked in around the area you you always run into to members who give you a little insight but nothing uh that so the farm where they do the the babies like the remount horses and and mm-hmm. stuff are you responsible for their tack at all um the they really the all the training i would guess i would say like the riding training really it starts at like with us um, at the farm. I mean, I do some some repairs, some tack, but there's there's not much out there other than lead ropes and halters and maybe you know like an older broken saddle for you know just to try on them maybe in the the aisle to get them used to uh, you know just kind of backing them slowly. But for so the they, most part, they're would say they're just like purely the breeding farm uh, okay. in Hackenham, and they just they just produce them and you know help them to a certain age until they come to us ah, okay i thought they were started somewhere else and then they come in but the, the, the they the... used to be they okay. they used to be start out there but i would say in the last like three maybe five six years actually they've been you know the the ones that would be suitable for the musical ride would come from the farm because not every horse wants to ride uh around with 32 other horses in the arena it's just you know it <laughs> some horses don't like that they don't want to go by head to head they're all they're each they're all individuals they all have their own character and some just don't want to be musical ride horses so they would be the ones that would normally go into the auction and make someone like a really awesome riding horse because the, the breeding is amazing on the horses we, we do have yeah I think um, that's maybe not well known but uh, the the breeding program is is pretty world class. Like these aren't uh, just any old horses, right? No, they're they're not. They're, I mean, these horses are very well bred athletes. I would say the ones that come into the musical ride. I mean, I see some. I'm like, whoa! I wonder, like, what, how well that one would jump? You know? Yeah. Um, I'd probably say that a lot, to be honest. And then there's probably dressage riders there. They're like, whoa. I wonder what this one oh yeah so yeah definitely we're breeding world like world-class bloodlines I, yeah I think like we some have of some one of these... or two stallions now and most of it's would be frozen but all um approved Hanoverian stallions 
Nice. And mares, mares obviously as well. We either have had a few come in from Germany where we bought them over the years, but a lot of them just kind of are through our own program or again, if it's one that maybe is, is not a musical ride horse anymore, but still young enough to produce, to produce good offspring or to produce offspring like health wise, then they could go out and be a, a mare at the musical ride farm. So it's interesting how it all works and like integrates and clicks together from from our farm to to their farm out there yeah and the harness so how much how much is that do they just have um is that's two in hand i don't know any of the terminology but like it's it's just you know um... i'm learning um (laughs) so we do like four in hand two in hand we have our our semi-state harness so it'd be like a brass four horse driving harness that would pull our semi-state carriage and that harness could be broken down to a two horse harness also and drive um i guess our semi-state carriage it could drive and also we have like a smaller victorian carriage which is super cool and lightweight which it could pull um we have have you seen postillion drive i think it's postillion harness i guess where there's no actual driver sitting on the carriage it would be what's called like a landau and the the drivers or they're riding two horses or one horse in front of the carriage no i i don't think i have so okay so yeah that's completely so there's no one in the carriage there they would be driving the carriage on the left-hand horses and then they would steer the right-hand horse with a rein and they have like basically uh, a crop where they can encourage them if they're turning right because it's a little harder to turn right than it is to turn left wow that's next level horsemanship right there i think <laughs> yeah it's well and we have a really good relationship with the royal mutes so um we're lucky to get uh, a lot of help from from them they we've had uh their head carriage men come over to help our uh trainees i guess or corporals who are learning sergeants who are learning anyone who, who really wants to learn then we've sent people over there to train with them for for a few weeks so i mean it's really special they get to go to either windsor or buckingham and you know, work with some of the finest horses in the world, the nicest carriages in the world. Um, <clears throat> you see things over there where you've kind of never seen <laughs> ever before. So they, we get super good training for that from them and help with that. But again, yeah, that's you have to be brave because your your legs sitting down there beside the pole. Uh, anything can happen. You're doing an escort say on Canada Day with thousands of people lining the streets and I think it was probably eight or nine years ago when the Queen was last here we did an escort with her and you know people are people are nervous right it's it's a it's a pretty big deal when you're doing something like that so uh even to me you know you're just everything needs to work like perfectly that day for the the 20 minutes you have to do it for yeah well (laughs) when you have a prolific horsewoman eyeing you <laughs> it's not just the queen it's someone who could do it herself as well right so yeah it's exactly. kind of like it's, yeah no. so that's intimidating actually i think when they did it with her and she was getting out it was one of my friends who had to uh, open the door of the landau for her of course the handle got stuck right and 
I think it broke. Like it actually broke off in his hand. So I can remember he was telling me this story. He was like, he's sweating. Right. And she's like, don't worry. It's all good. Like, <laughs> so she, I think she actually calmed him down and then they got the door open. Everything was okay. But uh, that's, that's what happens, right? Sometimes behind the scenes as well, that you just, you wouldn't know unless you knew the guy that that happened to you at that particular moment. Absolutely. Well, and this is, you know, I can imagine what would happen, but it's so cool hearing these stories. Um, and the harness type of, uh, is that its own? I mean, you're taking care of the harness, but the people, the horses, is that its own division? It would be horses bred from a different stock or? We we have one horse that wasn't bred at the farm. His name's Carter, actually. He's a big ter- character and he he's kind of our main carriage horse. He's a little bit heavier, not really sure what, his breeding is totally, but he's black, so he's you know like a, <laughs> kind of he's Anavarian sort of, so yeah. <laughs> um, he's a fake. Uh, and then normally the ones they would come from our horses. So sometimes we would be a musical ride horse here and there. It's the ones that just show that they have that attitude, or maybe they're built like a little bit heavier. Um, and and have the character of you know being like good to doers the you know the ones with the really good minds and you kind of give them a shot and see how they are like maybe long lining a little bit and introducing them to the driving to the driving bridle see how they take it and that's a little bit how we would pick the horses um from for the carriage horses again in the last three years we haven't had many so uh, we haven't been able to practice as much, I, I guess, uh, due to COVID and everything. We haven't just had the escorts to do it. So the people do the people that would be running that. It's a little bit spread out. So they're normally more the corporals who have maybe graduated from constable to corporal or being promoted because their skills in the riding or dealing with people, those are, you know, they, they kind of move up the line there and they tend to take on the driving, but there's not a driving like unit per se. Everyone kind of has a little bit to do with it. I think if you have a little bit of interest, they, they will take you on as well. Um, so it's, it's a bit of a team, but the team is spread out, but they get to practice either daily or, you know, every couple of days, taking a few horses out, keeping them fit, keeping them, keeping them going. Um, and this time of year too, will be like spring. Now we're getting back into, I think we have an escort coming up in a month. So we're kind of get, gearing up, getting ready to go again, where, yeah, we just haven't had that going on in the last while. So we'll get that going and everyone from their different sections are coming together like as a team uh, to get it done. Awesome. And I would imagine that at um, the, the at the facility, there there must be now is each member expected to take care of their own horse, or is there people that are just there f- to be quote unquote a groom? Like, uh, well, we have so I I mean we have what like stable staff that are there, you know, kind of the maybe drive the tractors more where you know they, they're doing all the regular barn things that you know the members wouldn't really know and they're they're there to learn the ride they 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 muck out every morning the ride members they clean the stalls they clean the tack 
but there there's other things you know like checking the fences or you know they're only there from seven till three or four every day uh so then you have you know that 16 hours where they the horses have to be taken care of so we have a barn manager diane who's awesome she you know she has her team and crew that kind of takes care of you know harrowing the indoor harrowing the outdoor yeah making sure everything's up and running properly like feed schedules feed programs all the way down to ordering supplements pitchforks like you know the the whole game right there's so much to do you you wouldn't really maybe see that part where they're they keep everything you know ticking behind the scenes like there's there's all these people like me i guess that you just really wouldn't see that much yeah yeah exactly so when your day ends then you have your your vision salary that uh, it would produce its own set of repairs and saddle issues and everything else. So, um, I, I mean, it's, it must be quite a lot on your plate. That's why I have like an amazing team, right? If it wasn't for them, um, it would be really hard because yeah, it's, you know, it's running a business. So, um, we we do a lot we i think there's seven members on the team six or seven members and then me who's like the little part because i I have to give them all the credit they're they're so great and really do keep that place running um but everyday things you know like there's there's always something like you know yesterday was the printer today it's the internet and yeah it's always just something like little but for the most part i I don't get a ton of repairs. Um, I don't know if it's people just buy new things now, but I, I would think, say, yeah, sorry. I, I do. I do think repairs are, are dipping off to be honest. I, I, I couldn't pinpoint it, but I do think that. Yeah. Um, Definitely. Like boot zippers are high. <laughs> that's, that's um, always something that we'll be doing more and more, but um I would say, you know, like replacing billets. Well, billets is one I still do a lot of, but girth elastics, bridle repairs, halter repairs, it's it's all dipping a little bit at the moment. I think that's just because things are, you know, priced way more reasonably now and maybe some things, it's just a change in market, I think, right? Yep. Yeah. But I think just in as a saddler, you know, years ago I decided that I'm just focusing on saddles because it's a big ticket item. Yeah, people are not just going to throw a saddle away for a hole in a knee pad. Um, whereas, say, a bridle that they bought for $139 to spend however much dollars to replace a broken cheek piece. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just know. the times, right? Yeah. And focusing on saddles, like that's, I, I'm, I really, as you do, you like working on saddles, right? You like fixing the problem, whatever it is, or a challenge, unless it's, you know, too old and falling apart where yeah. you're like, ah, everything I do creates more of a problem. Yeah. But um, it's the, I would say the saddles are the fun part about our game at the end of the day, right? Like, oh yeah. Yeah. Unless we're talking, say, what I call the cotton thread era, where (laughs) you cannot touch that saddle without replacing every single stitch. (laughs) Yeah, Um, and I get them. And you just have to be upfront and honest with people now, right? You're just like, okay, like, you know, you've seen what happens when you take one of those apart. Like, the thread just goes poof, like dust, basically. And 
you have to rebuild the whole saddle if you touch it. You can't stitch or relace the panels because the leather will just tear like paper. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, it's I, I don't see many of those anymore. I mean, the weird part when I do, it's the saddles I sold when I was like a kid, when I was like 17, 18 years old. So it's like again, it's like <laughs> making me feel so old. Oh yeah, you know, especially uh, when they say, "Remember, you sold this to me. You said it would last a lifetime." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, yeah. oh man, I didn't, <laughs> didn't expect. No, yeah. for sure. It's, it, and then it's it's also cool though seeing the things that you did sell twenty years ago and that they're still going. Or you know, saddles. I my brand of saddles I would have sold fifteen years ago, like the first Vision saddles ever, are still going around on ponies and you know still winning ribbons and making everybody happy. So it's it's really cool to like see those things. Um, as compared to seeing a 40 year old saddle that someone wants you to restock. It's true. It is true. A part of the longevity, the ups, the upside of it is you, you actually stuck around long enough to see some of the fruits of your labor. Like yeah. that seed has gone into the Oak tree type of thing. Right. Like it's totally, it's, totally. Uh, there's a yeah. lot of people that come in, in and out of this industry. Right. Um, well, this is part of, you know, a little bit of the podcast, right, is, is uh, I say, celebrating the trade because we see this, um, you know, I came into it the same way. Like, uh, I don't know a thing. And, yeah, at the 18-month mark, you're deciding, am I just going back to pitchfork and wheelbarrow land <laughs> or am I – going to double down and really learn you know i don't know if i hadn't have found uh dave my mentor what would have happened um yeah. and and it really is you know this about encouraging people through a little bit of stories like yeah it was it was a ton of fun i mean i wouldn't mind going back in time a little bit for right yeah you know, no, when it wasn't sure. all it was a little bit of play and, and mixed in with the work but um uh to to get through those kind of learning curves and rough patches a little bit and um you know to come out to the other side of it when you see a happy client or a horse that um not i don't care what your background is sometimes you stumble across a problem with a fit that that horse is now moving better than you know, yeah. you've had people say, oh, I've had three fitters out here and no one did what you did. And they think you hung the moon. But it was kind of like, well, I don't know why it worked. <laughs> it just did. But yeah, I'll, I mean, it's, I'll it's take not, the credit. It's not a exact science, right? There's no book. Uh, I mean, there are books, but everyone's different. <laughs> well, I find. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the more I look at those kind of things, I think, oh, you know, and there's kind of a. It's prolific now on on social media. People posting about saddle fitting in general. It's the mm -hmm. saddle fitting, and I think it's where a lot of if if you haven't been in it for long enough, you do think, "Oh, I know what I'm doing, and I know how this is supposed to work." And it's I ran into one older fitter uh, who's who's since passed away, but she said, "You know." I finally got to that stage where I know that I know nothing. And right. 
it was a light bulb moment and i'm like oh i kind of thought you would be the person to be like you know sit back and watch you're about to be schooled and she's like no no every time i think i heads above water i run into a horse that confuses me or that what's worked every time for me to get something going better it just yeah it didn't work and and it's those little you know that 80 20 rule they say you know 20 percent of your or clients generate 80 percent of your profit or you can apply it to anything but it's like 20 percent of your horses will create 80 percent of your issues right and it's it's yes an, until yeah, you accept sure. that and go okay we're in this 20 percent area right now <laughs> and it's almost like you take yeah. comfort in it right just going no no we're in uncharted territory like we're yeah you know i kind of get excited when i can tell the client like no just stop thinking um in in for sure's we need to start being creative now and you know and usually there's an underlying health issue that somebody never thought of or yeah you know and we forget sometimes they're dealing with living animals that have um uh, it's their mental health too. Like sometimes their only way they can voice yeah. something so, is to shut down, right? Uh, totally, right? They can't, if they could just tell us like, oh, it hurts a little bit here or, you know, that's not the right size there. Wouldn't it make like life so easy? Um, and yeah, that's that's a big thing. Like what I, what I really get out of it is, um, you know, when you get the saddle, everything right. Some horses are super hard. Then you have the ones that look super hard that are super easy. And, you know, every time you're out fitting, it's just, it's always different. There's always kind of new challenges. So for sure that uh, that's the same with me. Um, but it's having someone not have to worry about their saddle fit and being able to just enjoy the riding of their horse properly and being in the right balance, being in the right position where, you know, their coach isn't always telling them to correct their position, which they can't because the saddle's off. Um, where they can just enjoy the hobby and the sport that they love to do and not have to worry about all the other things. Sometimes, if there is an underlying health issue, obviously that maybe doesn't happen with that particular horse. But I would say to me, that's the biggest thing I get out of it. It's just people being able to enjoy like their horses properly and not have to worry about um hurting them or, or anything like that right it's just uh, and just moving forward with their partnership and in their levels together of whatever they're doing basically yeah it's it's actually fun being part of people's journey um that it's 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 really rewarding and satisfying that um that you you you're a critical piece of that puzzle but you know you're working towards being a very minimal part of that puzzle <laughs> like you know once you get things sorted out and you're a little bit on cruise control and you're like okay just keep your regular yeah. checkups going and be proactive rather than reactive on on the fitting yeah yeah for sure for sure and i think that you know one thing that maybe doesn't work in our favor as saddlers or like farriers or something um you know, is a lot of the time, uh, a lot of things can, the first people that go are gone to when there's an issue with the horse is the saddler or the farrier or, or, right? So like you were talking about, sometimes horse could 
maybe just be sore, you know, somewhere where you're not even thinking about it. And that's actually what it is. It has nothing to do with, because I'm sure you've gone on saddle fittings where you're like, okay, there, there can't be anything other than something else going on, right? Like, it's like perfect. Yeah, this is where the the marketing and the business of saddle fitting um, gets in the way a little bit because yeah. you're kind of put in a position by everyone's perception of a saddle fitting like well the horse isn't going right it must be the saddle and it's like there could be a million things and i i found i no longer fit saddles so i think i can say this but the 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 clients that work with a team like a really good farrier yeah uh you know their vet plays one role but they use body work and professional dentists and you know they they have a team of people that know that horse very well then yeah. you can just easily say you know what i would get your uh i'll just use the general term body worker but it's it's everything from massage therapist chiropractor acupuncture bowen therapy myofascial release whatever it is you're using consult with that person first and i i, I bet you they will find the needle in the haystack quicker than yeah. your saddler who has a great amount of skills but it's focused you know you as a as a lay i always tell people like i'm just a lay person guessing but i i'm i'm saying something's going on in the sacrum mm -hmm. um and i i for sure you need me but you need me after the treatment right fixing yeah 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 it's it's tough right because again it's not a science you have articles come out every week on Lucibian magazines, but now it's online that there's another professional's different opinion than the last professional who wrote an article about saddle fitting of what is right and what is wrong. Yep. Um, that makes it tough. You know, you have saddle fitters fitting saddles that don't know how to put a nameplate on a saddle out there, but they're selling, you know, six to seven to $8,000 saddles um it it's it's not a regulated uh industry at all so i think that's what makes it tough on on us too right like it um you're always trying to keep up with this next fad and the funniest thing for me is probably my easiest saddle fittings ever would be like with olympic riders at the end of the day um it would be the least complicated i would say over all my 20 or so years of saddle fitting would be like you know with uh ian miller um where you know we just take a five minute peek here and there because again they're finely tuned into their horses and what they're doing at the time right yep um one of the one of the like craziest things that happened with me is actually at the auto horse show about five six years ago uh ian had a saddle with a blowout in the panel and they brought it over to me and I had a look at it and the channel was super super narrow like like um maybe maybe two fingers and I asked him I'm like geez like how is the horse going you know with the saddle basically and he's like well you know he's not going well he's in jump clean in a while da, 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 da. and it was Dixon uh, like his top horse at the time so uh Drop down to the barn at the horse show the day before basically the $100,000 Grand Prix took a look at three or four different saddles from his collection that he had there 
and found one right away that had a little bit more like room through the channel and we changed it. He jumped the hundred thousand the next day. He was second, uh, you know, and then couldn't kind of thank me enough for, for that afternoon. So it was amazing. Like sometimes to see what can happen like overnight from a small change. And that's where you really, really, really see it happen. And it's super cool on that level, which it's cool on every level getting you know people's horses going like that properly and easy again but i would say the it's funny like the olympic riders would be my easiest fittings of all yeah i agree it was it's the yeah. same for me i think yeah. they've got to a point in their career where they they put faith in their team of of service providers and they trust and you know that you couldn't ask for a horse that's better bred the feeding program's perfect. You know, there's so many things yeah. that are just like, you know, it just makes your job so much easier, but it's also an attitude. So kind of in closing, I, you know, I always kind of like this kind of question and then is if you had to go back in time, is there anything that you wish you had done differently in the progression of your career? Oh, that's a, that's a tricky one. The only thing I probably would think about, and I don't know, maybe a lot of people think about this, it was just being a bit more focused when I was younger. Um, you know, I like to have fun, right? So I think if I did anything, it wouldn't have been changing how I did training uh, or anything like that, or maybe learning how to use a sewing machine back in the day. That's might have been one of that. Um it would have been just focusing a little bit more on on doing the work, studying a little bit more, practicing a little bit more instead of, uh, you know, having having fun. Uh, that would have been the only thing I did. But when I really or what I would change. But when I think about it, would you want to have missed out on all that fun? I'm still at the point I'm at now. Uh, so that, that would be the only thing. That's a hard question, man. <laughs> <laughs> I could throw a hardball once in a while. It is, it's interesting con uh, concept because basically, you know, just in previous podcasts, I asked the question and it comes up like, you know, could you really say, I wish I hadn't have done that or done this, but it, it kind of opened another door up that created a new opportunity sometimes. So you have to kind of take that smooth with the rough and go oh yeah no that that kind of resulted in a weird way um this happening so um it's it's something that you kind of have to i guess the point is celebrate um I, uh, your failures if you like or um yeah you could have been you know laser focused and and got somewhere quicker but it's it's it, it is a little bit about the journey not, right, it's not the relationships, the and, yeah. right? It's, <laughs> you know, well, I could have look been at working us, at the uh, hotel instead of having beers with you at the Collingwood Horse Show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where having beers was, a, you know, more important to me then, and <laughs> we, we still ended up okay. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, uh, I wouldn't change that, that's for sure. Yeah, 100%. Well, I cannot thank you enough for coming on. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, Christian. It was uh, it was a good time. I hope uh, I hope we got out there. hundred percent. I think we will really this. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, 
This is Owen Morgan, saddler for the RCMP and owner of Vision Saddlery. You're listening to the Saddler's Post with my friend Christian. This has been the Saddler's Post with Christian Lowe. Thank you for listening. The Saddler's Post is sponsored by Christian Lowe Leather Care. Visit christianlowe.ca.